welcome to Real Talk Intervention, episode number 18, the We're Still Here podcast. Uh, we're still here, Stephanie. We're back. We're doing this. We're, we're back for another school year. Yes, and I'm excited that we were able to take that break. I needed a break from editing these podcasts, but I'm so yeah. glad that we're back, and I'm proud of us for sticking with something. <laughs> we, we, no, guys. I just want to point out, you know, this is episode number 18. We started this podcast in January of last year, and we managed to teach a full year, and we've been podcasting and having so much fun, and we're, we're just really excited to, to kind of be back. If you're just tuning in to, to Real Talk Intervention, just kind of give you an idea of who we are and what, we, what we're doing. I mean, we, uh, Stephanie and I, have been working with at-risk students for 12 years. We uh, are really focused on intervening with secondary students students on the high school level, when you have those students in your classroom who are way below grade level, who are failing their classes, you know, we have been working successfully with those students for 12 years. And so this podcast is just sort of our way to to talk about the challenges of that, what we do in our classrooms, what we do as, as interventionists and as instructional coaches, and, and kind of bring the community together just to help with these these high school students who a lot of times they uh, they kind of fly under the radar in our in our normal conversations that we have. But we're excited to be back. We, we had a great summer filled with uh filled with amazing PD. Stephanie, I think this is a this is a fun time for teachers. This is our our excited optimistic time of year. This is the time of year where I'm like I can do X amount of different things in my classroom and I'm going to completely revamp things. So, I'm always like, yay, it's the first of the school year. I'm going to be perfect teacher, you know. Just right. check back yeah. in May. And- <laughs> Yeah, you know, we're optimistic. We're filled with all of our professional development. We're feeling like maybe all of that wasn't a huge waste of our time. We're we're trying we're excited to try new things. But with this uh with this podcast, you know, we've we've talked a lot about intervention students and and we've talked a lot about at-risk students. But one thing that is going to start kind of bleeding into the podcast that's happening with some job changes that are going on is uh I this year am continuing to be an instructional coach for the science department. I am continuing to work with at-risk students and in fact, I'm even doing some pretty exciting pilot program that I'm administering. But also, Stephanie, I am teaching AP chemistry this year. Yeah. So, oh my God. This is a really big change. I, I <laughs> Speaking of summer PD, I spent the summer doing uh, gifted and talented PD and, and looking at things from that perspective. And I think something that's going to be very exciting for me this year is coming into this world, this gifted and talented world, this AP world, from the perspective that I have, which is literally 12 years of alternative schools and at-risk students. And I've already noticed that I am a very different teacher yeah. than most of the AP teachers that I've seen. I have very different perspectives. And I know that I'm going to learn a lot this year. And I'm hopeful that, you know, what I'm learning this year can kind of come back and inform what we do with our intervention kids. And also, I think I'll be able to give maybe a little bit of a wider perspective of what teachers are dealing with in their classrooms when you do have this wide range of ability. Because I will, in the course of my day, I will be working with, you know, at-risk students who can hardly read. And I will be working with, you know, one of my students is taking like five AP classes and he's a sophomore. So it is definitely going to be two totally different worlds. And I'm very excited to see how that informs our discussions and how that kind of enlarges our our practice this year. Are you going to be able to do something where we can kind of follow this? Because this sounds like a really interesting story from from at risk to AP, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's the title of my first book. I'm I'm not sure, <laughs> but actually. <laughs> 
we're starting a very exciting pilot program on our campus that's aimed at those students that you have. If you're a high school teacher, you know you have them on your campus. Those students who have just fallen so far behind on their credits, they're so off track for graduating. And yes, you have credit recovery programs, but they're really not getting the job. 18 year old ninth are, graders, right? Yes, they're in yeah. that situation. And, you know, we're, we're, we have this constant battle between students losing credit and losing credit because of attendance. And what do we do? And how do we make these credits up? And the train just keeps moving. So we've started a very exciting uh, pilot program on our campus that's basically like an alternative school within our school. And I am uh, the administrator, uh, so to speak, of that uh, pilot program. So I've been working with my my teacher and my assistant principal about setting up student codes of conduct and processes and procedures. And we've got this whole plan to just really accelerate students' uh, credit attainment, get students graduated who it really seems like there was no chance for them to graduate. So I'm kind of bringing all my years of um, of at-risk alternative school experience to the traditional high school. So we've got something very exciting that we're doing here, and I I do want to talk more about that in the future. But I was planning on blogging my journey through this because I do think this is something that, if it is successful, other campuses are going to want to implement. So I am on our website, which is realtalkintervention.blogspot.com. There will be a space coming that will be our alternative academy space where I will be talking about what we are setting into place with our alternative academy how things are working, the challenges that we're we're seeing, and the success or the lack thereof that we are experiencing from what we do. So if you are interested in any way in hearing about credit recovery systems and making credit recovery systems better and helping students graduate who really have have a very high, uh, very long road to travel, then you're going to want to be checking out our blog, realtalkintervention.blogspot.com and following my uh, my journey with our Alternative Academy. That sounds great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to helping I mean on the fringes with this and but more importantly I'm just I'm looking to see how we can reimagine schools and 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 make them work for the kids that we have today so I'm, I can't wait to read about your journey that's a good way to put it it is definitely a reimagining of schools but while we uh, look forward on that let's let's look at the right now it's the first week of school Stephanie we're here Yay! this is happening right now and any veteran teacher will definitely tell you that starting the year out on the right foot is the most important thing really what you do in the first week will determine how successful the rest of the year the way you come in at the beginning Ah, it can take a long time to recover from a poor start. So it's very true. And there are so many great resources out there for good first first day policies and procedures and that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of information out there about that. But, you know, Stephanie, you and I are here with our with our podcast because we have a very specific niche viewpoint of how to be successful with your most difficult, most struggling students. So we want to just not necessarily kind of give you the, the typical policies and procedures, but give you what we know works for us with our at-risk students in particular. So for me, of course, as you know, if you listen to the podcast, I teach science. And really for me, my main goal throughout my classes, whatever class I'm teaching, is I really want my students to have strategies that they can call on when they are struggling. With your at-risk students, when they encounter something that gives them difficulty, they just really don't know what to do. The difference between a successful student and an unsuccessful student is the successful student is challenged and tries to overcome the challenge. 90% of the time, if a student has something they can try to do, then they are successful. Even if they may not necessarily know exactly what they're doing, if they're trying, 
they're going to get there. So most of our at-risk students, though, they just don't have a toolbox of skills at their disposal that they can go to when they encounter difficulties. Yeah, usually it's just like, okay, this is hard. I give up. I quit. I quit. Yeah. And, you know, as teachers, we have a hard time seeing things from their perspective because we are really good at school. And so it's hard for us. And we're just like, no, you just you just do this. You do that. You know, we do start thinking about strategies that students can use when they are struggling with something. It tends to fall back on those kind of ridiculous things like, oh, wait, we'll just eliminate two answers. And then you have a 50 percent chance. You know, those kind of strategies are not what I'm talking about here. I mean, I'm talking about actual content driven strategies that students can use to help take an assessment and learn while they're taking an assessment, not just, you know, make more educated guesses. That's not what we're doing. So my first week or my first weeks of school, really, it's focused around, yes, okay, interactive notebooking. So I think most teachers are familiar with the idea of an interactive notebook. But if you are unfamiliar, an interactive notebook is an educational tool that we use. We can put our assignments in there, our notes, and it's very, very useful for, for organizational purposes and for having everything in one spot. But I have to say, I have been an instructional coach for the last six years, and in that time, I've really seen what it is that I do with my notebooks for my intervention students that really makes the difference between a student being successful with your notebook and students being unsuccessful. And it really comes down to is the barrier of, of time commitment to teach your students how to use your notebook, setting it up so that they see the value in the notebook and going from there. So here's what I do, and it, it does take time. In the first week, okay, you get your notebook set up, whatever format you want to use, it really doesn't matter. You just get some information into that notebook. And then as quickly as you can, you give them intentional assignments that they need the information in their notebook to complete. They cannot do it without their notebook. You give them super easy assignments if they're using their notebook. You get them used to back and forth, back and forth. Oh, I need this answer. Oh, it's right here. Oh, I need this answer. Oh, it's right here. And you make it to where they start to see how much more useful the notebook is for them than, you know, Google, right? You just do that over and over. You kind of treat the notebook the way that you would traditionally treat a textbook. You know, we kind of have that idea of, oh, you need an answer? Well, turn to your textbook. But instead of turning to the textbook, you turn to the notebook. As you move along, you make your assignments more and more difficult, but you have your students trained, A, my answer is in my notebook, and then B, how do I find the answer in my notebook. And those are really the two problems that they have. They appreciate the organizational aspect of the notebook. They appreciate the grading of the notebook. They do not appreciate using the notebook to solve future assignments. I cannot tell you, Stephanie, how many times I have sat there with a student sitting next to me with this fabulous notebook while they take their test never yeah. crack open the notebook. And then even if I'm like, hey, why don't we look at your notebook? They are just flipping. They have no idea what they're looking at. They have no idea what they're looking for. And it is just because a teacher has not taken the time, and it is a lot of time, to train them into using that notebook as a tool, as a resource, not just as kind of like a portable folder that keeps all your assignments into one spot. And I don't think it's it's necessarily intuitive to us as teachers that you have to, t you know, hey, the answers are here. The information is here. Like, I think we kind of think that kids will get that intuitively and, and many of them will. However, your intervention students, your at-risk students, they just don't know what to do with that thing. And you have got to be super intentional about planning the first six weeks of your class to where that notebook is like 
their lifeline. So interactive notebooking, setting that up and spending those first few days or first few weeks in your class training students to use that and making it so set up for their success with the notebook is something that's going to pay off for you for the rest of the year. I also use interactive notebooks for English. Do you use tabs or anything when you're talking about the different like, do you have like a strategy area of the notebook and a notes section or anything like that? Or is it just kind of chronological working through the class? There's a lot of different ways that you can set your notebook up. And, you know, if you Google and look into it, you can find a lot of different organizational strategies. And I think what works for you, unfortunately, is going to be what works for you as the teacher. It should be what works for the kids, like what way they want to organize the notebook. That would be the the ideal goal. I haven't been able to figure out how to make that work because I am not, I don't have everything super structured planned out to where I could say, you know, pages one through 20 are strategy pages, pages 20 through. I think, you know, that would be cool. And a lot of kids would really like that. When I've tried to do structured notebooks, it hasn't worked for me. I'm just very free form. Things do kind of flow along as they need to. It's not really super structured and organized. And I've still not had a problem with my students being able to find the information that they need when they need it. Once they start using the notebook enough, they get the idea of where things are. They remember the scope and sequence. So although I think that intuitively we think, the more structured the notebook is, the better. I think that if you're a teacher like me, who's very free form and kind of working day to day, like, you know, assessing where your students are and going from there, you're not going to be able to set up that kind of structured notebook. And so you shouldn't try because that's just going to frustrate you and make you irritated. And don't think that having it not necessarily in some order is going to keep your kids from being able to use it. Because I've never found that to be the problem. That makes me feel a lot better because, I mean, that that always has been one of my struggles is wanting to have it almost be like like sections. And when I've done that, I haven't stuck to it very well. So last year when I did my notebook, I was just like, you know, it's just going to be just you turn to the next page and we're going to do what we're going to do there on that. And it worked. And I was really excited because most of my kids got to, it was just one semester class and most of the kids got to the end of the spiral, which is exciting because some notebooks don't ever get past the first 20 pages. Well, because the teachers are abandoning them because they're not using them in the way that works for them. And so they're trying to do a strategy that's not intuitive right. to them. Right, you go on Cult of Pedagogy and you're like, oh, I want right. to be like that oh, I'm lady. Gonna copy this. <laughs> I'm going to copy this format. And some people that does work great for them, but other teachers, it's not going to work. And you shouldn't think that you have to. You absolutely do not have to follow a structure like that. And then the other reason that notebooks get abandoned is because they're seeing that the kids aren't using them. And the reason that the kids are not using them is because you haven't taken the time to train them how to use it and you haven't written your assignments in such a way that it takes advantage of what's in the notebook. You do kind of have to like stack the deck and make sure that your first four or five, six assessments or assignments or whatever are, are very intentionally aligned to your notebook. But once you've bought them into the concept, they will they will be bought into it. You know, one thing I, I will say, I, I like this idea in theory. Once again, I haven't ever, uh, I've never pulled it off, but I, I think it's fairly easy. It's, it is kind of easy to just, you know, have the kids number their pages and then then create a table of contents page so that as you say, oh, maybe I do want to say, oh, here's the second six weeks is between this page number and that page number. And you you can do a running table of contents that you create as you go. But I do think that's a good idea in, in theory. I like that. I'm going to try that this year. 
I like that. And I think it's so funny that the science teacher is talking about interactive notebooks and I'm going to talk about data. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, like I said, I do the interactive notebooks for the kids, but on my end, what I'm doing in the background is I have been doing the last week, I've been doing research on my kiddos. This is a little bit different for me because all of my kids are strugglers. But for the classroom, what we're doing in um, our classrooms right now is we are identifying our, our strugglers early. Uh, we want to be able to keep track of them from the very first day. So what we're looking for is once we've got our class list, we're looking at their test scores, if there's a core content test for your class. We're looking at uh, history of absences, disciplinary actions, alerts for SPED, LEP, 504. We're looking for class failures within our content. We're going to be looking at whether or not they're on track for credits. Are they taking advanced classes, too, because that kid's probably going to be struggling as well. We know some of these kids will sign up for a lot and get a lot on their plate. So I take my concerns for these kids, whatever I'm looking for specifically, and I, I just kind of assign them points. And then in an easy Excel spreadsheet, I can see this kid's got nine points, all right? He's going to be my, my top struggler, most likely. So I'm doing a little bit of prediction. I'm going to usually try to set my limits, so like 5% is going to be kind of my tier 3 for that class. The next highest 10% will be kind of my tier 2s. And I'm going to make sure that I conference with these kids at the very beginning of the year. They're going to be the first ones I go to when I do my conferences. And I think that that's really important because I want to be able to set up my relationship with that kid. Um, and I also want to come up with some sort of working action plan with them about what their goals are, uh, what they want to accomplish. I want them to know at the very beginning that I am on top of this with them and that I'm going to be a partner with them. And I found that it really helps to build that relationship if, if I also talk to them a lot about what they you know, what they're into, what they're interested in, um, so that I can start from the very beginning of the year I know I can get some, some of their interest involved. Uh, like Kelly Gallagher has a thing where he does the article of the week, and this works on any content level. Here's my thing. I think most kids are just as optimistic at the beginning of the year as we are, Sarah. I, I think that no matter what last year was, they, they want to come in with the hope that maybe this year will be different. And if if after two or three weeks it's not different and they're already a mess, they're going to check out for the rest of the year. So if I can grab them at the very beginning before they get a chance to fall to pieces, I think that I'm going to have a longer amount of time with them trying and just keeping trying and determining what they need. It's going to help both of us be more successful through the year. What's important in what you're saying there is the building of the relationships, and that is super important. You can make relationships with students in, in other ways. I mean, I personally teach content that is frequently, you know, like the classes they hate the most. Sometimes they're, they're naturally interested in it, but oftentimes they, they don't. They hate it. They've been struggling with it. But you do want to you want to create relationships with them in any way that you create relationships. You know, you want to create relationships with the kids that's authentic to you and the way that you do things. How are you going to make relationships with your kids? How are you going to target who the kids are that you need to make relationships with? I like it. I have another question was how transparent are you? Are you transparent with the kids at all about your point system? Um, no. 
Yeah. I wish. I wonder. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not going to go through the points, but I mean, I I am very transparent with the idea that I've got a lot of history on them. So when they come into class, I already know, and they, and we talk about it. So I saw that you failed this test, or I saw that you were struggling last year with science. I want them to know that I've done my homework on them. I try not to be too, like, I don't want that to sound like it's like, like yeah. I'm already setting them up to I've fail. I've got you. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I've done I think it's special good. about yeah. it, but I've never had any any kids find that to be upsetting. I, I, I think the idea, I think it's part of the relationship building, the idea of I know you. I, I've come to know you in some way. Like I, I've, I'm interested in you. I think that's part of it. As long as you don't come it from the perspective of, you know, I, I know you in a bad way, but I'm just curious about you and what, what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Stephanie, we are going to continue the, the schedule that we started last year with bi-monthly podcasting, meaning we'll be, we'll be posting a podcast every two weeks, more or less, throughout the year. We'll be talking about intervention, at-risk students, what works in classrooms, how you can empower yourself in your classroom this year. We have got some cool things that we have been working on over the summer, including some information about how you can actually use podcasting, that medium you love so much, in your classroom. So over the summer, well, actually, both of us were accepted to host a post uh, podcasting workshop at a conference, but unfortunately, Sarah, what did you have? What was uh, my son got? Your sick. son was sick. Okay, yeah. um, I was left on my own, and I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the entertaining <laughs> no, you were one. She was fabulous. Well, thank you. Well, I think that um, we had a great time. It was great to meet people who want to use podcasting to share their ideas and also as a tool in the classroom. So if you go back on the blog a couple months ago, we did post an interactive course, Podcasting and Net for Student Engagement, if you'd like to uh, learn more about podcasting yourself. I also wanted to have a couple of the teachers who were in that training uh, gave me some comments, and I want to make sure that I say thank you to them for attending, and this is why some of those teachers are interested in podcasting. I love the idea of having a classroom or a small group uh, audio blog Mm -hmm. and being able to share that, maybe even with parents. Here's what we're doing at school, and then put it out for the parents to listen to. Because sometimes when kids get home from school and they're asked, what do you do? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I did nothing all day. That's my kid. All right. So I could see myself using this and letting kids do podcasts as a like a cumulative thing for a PBL project. And then that way they can get it out to an authentic audience. So our next podcast will be dropping on September 5th. And our theme for September is Deep Data Dive. It's the triple Ds. Right now, we're all feeling ambitious and we're feeling hopeful. So we want to capitalize on that by taking you to the next level on your student data tracking. Wherever you are on your data journey, we're going to take you to the next level. If you've never tracked data before, we're going to help you get started. If you've been doing it, but you want to do it better and make it work for you better, we have definitely got tips for you. I mean, Stephanie, we're kind Kind of known as the data gurus on our campus. I so, think you're uh, known as us. the data guru. <laughs> well, no, we're both into this. So join us, won't you, as we uh, learn a little more about data, how you can use that to empower and differentiate your classroom, and how it doesn't have to be as horrible as it sounds. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye.